I want to take a moment here to acknowledge the recent playoff expansion news. By as late as 2026, the college football playoff will expand from four teams to 12 teams, and there's a possibility it could happen as soon as 2024. West of Everest is very pro-playoff expansion. We've done many episodes in the past explaining why we think college football will be better with more playoff teams. And from my perspective, 12 isn't enough. I like the idea of 24 and then go from there. After all, the FCS has a 24-team playoff system, so why can't the FBS? Admittedly, I know 24 is not going to happen, at least probably not in our lifetimes, mainly because change in college football takes forever. And also, in order to do a 24-team playoff, you'd have to do away with conference championship games and probably shorten the regular season by one or two games. FCS only plays 10 regular season games. And shortening the regular season would mean that schools would lose out on the revenue from at least one home game per year. Good luck getting athletic directors to agree to taking less money. But enough about my fantastical 24-team daydream. 12 teams will happen, and that's a major upgrade over the current system. But there's one major problem. Not enough playoff games being played on campus. In the proposed 12-team model, the top four seeds would all get a bye, while seeds five through eight would get to host a playoff game on campus. Those are going to be some of the most anticipated college football games ever. College football is really popular in large part because of the traditions and pageantry that's unique to each university. Game days are special. Each city, each stadium has its own character. And if you add the stakes of a playoff game into the mix... That's going to be special. So why limit those games? Why do the top four teams in the country get to miss out on hosting a college football playoff game? That's ridiculous. This should be a 16-team system. No buys, playoff games on campus for at least the first two rounds. From there, sure, do your neutral site thing for the final four. I appreciate the CFP Board of Managers taking things into their own hands and making an expanded playoff possible, But like the current four-team system, the new 12-team system could be a lot better. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome in once again to the show. We're on to week two of the college football season. Kent State comes to town this Saturday. In fact, the Golden Flashes are already in Oklahoma. They're spending the week out east in Tulsa. Looks like they're practicing over at Tulsa Union High School preparing for the Sooners. A quick housekeeping note before we get going. I am aware that our last episode, the UTEP recap, was not showing up on iTunes. Unfortunately, I did not notice that until today as we're recording on Wednesday. Now, I went in and I refreshed the RSS feed for Apple. So hopefully by the time that you're listening to this show, episode uh, 248, which is the UTEP recap, is also available on Apple Podcasts. Now, Spotify didn't have any issues receiving our latest episode, and as far as I know, Stitcher also had no problems. So uh, if you're someone who still uses Apple for podcasts and you still haven't listened to the UTEP recap and you want to, I suggest going over and finding that podcast on either Spotify or Stitcher. Uh, I made the switch months ago over to Spotify, and it's been pretty darn good. But again, hopefully by the time you guys are hearing this, the whole iTunes Apple thing has been resolved. And by the way, if you are feeling it, you're always welcome to leave a rating on Spotify if that's what you use. And if you are still consuming the iTunes, Apple, iPod, 
iPod. Uh, yeah, Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast. Man, iPods are they're dead. They're gone. Uh, if you're still doing the Apple Podcast app, you can leave ratings and reviews there on that platform. They're always welcome. We've got the most feedback through iTunes over the years. Time now to bring in Grant, who's coming off a 5-0 and week with his college football picks. Grant, how does it feel? It uh, feels totally normal, man. Just like waking up in the morning. <laughs> okay. I, okay. It, it's yeah. easy, man. Nah, I'm, it's... Feel like That's I always good. do. Feels like I feel like I always do pretty well in the non-conference games, but but once once the conference season comes along, I just ah, I usually don't really know what to do. I think we're we're picking some conference games in our picks this week, and I'm already kind of I don't really know. Yeah, you were five and zero. Oh, I was three and two. Uh, the games that uh, you know, I just I I misjudged uh, the the two the you know the two of the bigger games of the week, uh, and I just I flipped it. I I flipped to. When I should have taken the underdog and when I should have laid the points, and I, I thought Oregon would keep it closer than they did. Gosh, I was way off. And then uh, I thought Ohio State would run away with it over Notre Dame, but those results were flipped. But you were on it. You were on top of it, and you go five and zero. Oh. We'll see what your record will be by this time next week. So my opening take was about the playoff expansion uh, that came out last week, but we didn't have time to talk about it really at all. Last uh, you know, last couple of episodes. Because uh, we were so excited about the start of the college football season. So I decided to bring it up here. Uh, Grant, I, I'll open the floor to you. Do you have any thoughts about the fact that the college football playoff will be going to 12 teams uh, at the latest 2026, which still you know, a ways away, but it, it could be by 2024 if everything kind of goes the way that, well, we'd like it to go. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy they're getting there. I mean, a lot of people can kind of go back in our archives and, and get our thoughts on this. I mean, when I mean, this was the same thing essentially happened a year ago at this time, and then it ran out of gas. Um, I, I guess, you know, I mean, this is pretty much the exact same proposal as they put forth a year ago as well. So um, I like it. You know, I, I like 12 more than I like eight because I, I'm with you. You've persuaded me. I think 24 is actually is is the best number to get to to get to eventually. I still think we're a long ways off from that. But um, when I saw 12 a year ago, I was happy just because it was closer to 24 than eight was or six was. And I'm still there, too. There's still some things that need to be ironed out, in my opinion. For instance, uh, second-round games need to be on campus as well. I was listening to the Andy Staples podcast with Ari Wasserman earlier this week, and, and you know they were talking about how, hey, you know, up until you know, 2026, those, you know, the bowl contracts are still, they go all the way through 2026, so maybe that's the way that they split the baby until 2026, and then maybe they, can, they could get out of that potentially by doing you know, on-campus games. I, 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 you have to do that. I, I don't think there's... It just doesn't make sense, I don't think, to do it the first round and then give the teams that had a buy, you know, a, a neutral site game. Just doesn't make any sense. It's very obvious. You know, if you, if you keep that, you're doing it just to satisfy the Bulls. You're doing it for that type of money. And, yeah, let's let's get it right. Let's let's get that one right. Um, but also, you know, I don't, want, I don't want great to be the enemy of good either. And so uh, I like this. Um, and obviously, I you know I hope they can get it done by 2024. I'm skeptical that that's the case, just just based off everything that's happened the last year or so. That would require a lot of conferences and a lot of different perspectives working together. Um, and you know, probably an instance where not everyone would come out happy. And I just I you know, kind of based off how things have been going the last, I, I don't see that necessarily happening. But if it does, great. But you know, I. You can go back and listen to what we said. I think it's good for the game. I think I think once you've opened the playoff bubble or once you've opened that can of worms, you can't put it back in. You, just, you have to expand it until you find the right number. And I think this is a step in that direction. So uh, what makes me 
a bit optimistic that they could get it done by 2024 uh, is the reason why it, it look you know you read some of the reports about why it's it's going to 12 in the first place is that uh, I, I can't remember if it was Ross Dellinger who originally had the reporting or uh, I, I'm blanking on the guy over at ESPN that moved to ESPN recently, like a year ago, that he was somewhere else, at Sports Illustrated to ESPN. I, I apologize. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Who's the, he was at Sports Illustrated, I think, and now he's at ESPN. He's like ESPN's big college football guy. Is it Pete Thamel? Yeah, Thamel. Yeah, thank you. So Thamel, I, one of those guys kind of had the original or like initial reporting, I think, and you know, obviously McMurphy's always there. But anyways, uh, money was a big reason. You know, fine, like, and we've been talking about that on this podcast for years, like, all the money they're leaving on the table. I mean, you can go back to our first, you know, our first couple of years doing this podcast. Every time we talked about the playoff, I wouldn't be surprised if, if one of us brought up the fact that, man, there's a lot of money to be made out there. I, I would be surprised if, if one of us didn't bring it up. And finally, they come around to like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe there's some more money that we can make here. And so that's why uh, I'm kind of optimistic that maybe they could get it done just because when money talks, money talks. And if they can get to that money sooner, then maybe they'll – do their best to get there. Uh, you so know, the cynical side of my brain is still saying too, it, it bums me out that it's that money is the final consideration and not, I love college football yeah. and this is awesome. And I want to see this. Yeah. Like, that's that fair. Was, I, and like, I get you've it. You've been that's, consistent on that. That's the way the world works. I mean, like I'm not, I don't want to be naive in that way, but it's just, you know, I, it shouldn't work that way. It should be about, we want to see the best product on the field. Who cares if it makes the? I mean, the best product on the field is going to make a ton of money anyway. And the reason yeah. why this is going to make a ton of money is just because it's a better product. It's a better idea than what they're doing right now. So I texted you the other day, and now I'm, I'm kind of walking this back a bit because I think maybe I was a little bit hyperbolic, which is kind of your role. But I texted you the other day and said, man, it seems like those out there uh, in the ether who do not want playoff expansion seem to be extra indignant ever since that news came out. Uh, of the 12-team playoff. And now I think more about it, I honestly just have like one guy in my mind. So, I mean, one example is not a whole lot. And that's uh, Josh Pate, who's been, you know, who's burst onto the scene, the college football scene in the last year or so. And he's just been hustling, hustling, hustling. Uh, he was on uh, Gabe and Teddy's podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, he's just, he's all over Twitter, social media. That guy's hustling. He's, he's doing it. Uh, and he is just very loudly against playoff expansion. But I, I suppose he's my main example right now. I, you know, you and I have some friends that we know behind the scenes that aren't fans of expansion, but they're not national media members, so I don't know if they really count in this particular discussion. But so I, I'll, I'll kind of pull back. I, I, I shouldn't say a lot because I just have one example of this Josh Pate guy. But I did see an interesting interaction that he had on Twitter with Joe Clatt. Uh, they went back and forth. I sent you the thread. And it's interesting to me because Joel Klatt, and we talked about this years ago on this podcast, uh, when we started this podcast in 2017, Joel Klatt was uh, sternly against playoff expansion. He did not like the idea of expanding the playoff. And over the last year or two, he's come around. And now Joel Klatt is pro-playoff expansion. And so both guys are kind of going back and forth. I really like Klatt a lot. Uh, Pate, I, I don't listen to his podcast. I, don't, I mean, I follow him on Twitter, but I, I don't really follow his takes in and out. Uh, so, I mean, maybe I will at some point, but, you know, I, Klatt's a guy that I, I respect a heck of a whole lot. Both of the guys, though, on the Twitter uh, thread, the Twitter back and forth, they're, they're cordial. They like each other. It looks like they're, uh, they're friendly, which honestly is kind of lame. I kind of hope that Klatt would just bury him. Uh, but that's easy for me to say because, again, I don't know the guys, and it's easy for me as an outside uh, viewer to just want uh, death and destruction. So uh, that didn't happen. But uh, I, here's the thing. 
like I said, I don't listen to Josh Pate's podcast, his show. Uh, I, I know he does a lot of things on YouTube, and he's out there. So I'm sure on his, his show, he's explained his rationale about why he doesn't want playoff expansion. So I'll admit that I'm ignorant to his actual reasons, uh, but I'll go off of some of his tweets to Clatt. Uh, Pate says that he thinks college football is, quote, at its best as a sport that's not meant to generate the kind of money that the new college football playoff contract will generate. Uh, on the tweet, though, he does not go into details about what he means by that. Again, I- I'm sure he's probably explained it on his show, and so it's up to me to go and listen to it. i got to find that. Uh, I don't know, Grant. I, know, I think you might listen to his show. Maybe I, mean, I, can, I, know I can tell you what it. he means by that. Okay, so perfect. So explain. So I, I have not heard his reasoning behind it. Can you give me what his reasoning is behind why he doesn't like playoff sure. expansion? Sure, and this is, I mean, this is, a, this is an argument that is, that is well-worn. It's not a new argument, but he's essentially arguing for college football is better when it is a regional sport and not a national sport. Um, and his, you know, his argument, I think, has, has a lot of nostalgic value to it. Um, it's about it's about kind of the way that it was, right? He's he he really really likes, for instance, he likes regional rivalries. He thinks that you know the expansion of this stuff is going to make those you know go away. Look at the backyard brawl this past week. We didn't really talk about that. That was one of the better college football games I've seen in the last handful of years. That's the first time they've played that game in eleven years. Um, OU and Oklahoma State aren't going to be playing you know in the near future here you know pretty soon, and so that's the perspective he's coming from. Where college football is better, college football was kind of made by these regional rivalries, and it you ne- you didn't necessarily like. For instance, if you were at USC, you didn't necessarily care what Alabama was doing, and vice versa. And he's arguing that the sport was better when it was like that, and it's a perspective that I think is valid um, because I you know it 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 more it more kind of closely aligns to this how the sport was when I was growing up and when I first fell in love with it. Um, where I've started to shift, and, and honestly, you know, in a perfect world, I probably agree with him because in that world, it's gonna it'd be a lot easier for Oklahoma to win a national championship than than this thing coming up here that that everybody is advocating for, and it'd be a lot easier for a team like Oklahoma State to win a national championship too, where you just have to get through your schedule, and then hope everyone else around the country falls, you know, once or twice, and then you get that one, you know, the one game shot against someone else. Um, so I, I don't know, but where I've started to come around and where I've I, I've you know tried to dislodge myself from that viewpoint is that it's in the past and it's not reality anymore. You're not going to put that genie back into the bottle. And so the playoff is here. It ain't going anywhere. The perspective that Pate is arguing for is not going to win out. In fact, it's already been defeated in, in, you know, in the battlefield of ideas in terms of college football. And so Joel Klatt was kind of pushing back on him and saying, that's not reality, man. I can only operate within reality. And essentially right now is the playoff is what we have and it's on us. This is what I said earlier in the podcast. And now it's on us just to find the sweet spot. What is the best playoff for college football? You know, that nostalgic thing that Pate wants, it, just, it doesn't exist anymore. And I, you know, parts of me wish it, it still exist. It still did exist, but it's going away. And um, I don't know how useful it is to, to really, you know, to be in that camp. I, I just, because there's, there's, uh, there's no way it can ever be productive. Interesting. And so here's something that I, again, I, off the air, I was texting you, and I think this would be an interesting thing to talk about. I don't, I mean, we can talk about it a little bit here, but, you know, something that I need to be better at is understanding other people and, you know, how they consume college football and just sports in general. And so it kind of came to me the last few days is that, man, you know what, you know, watching and, and kind of reading and seeing people like Josh Pate, who is very against the college football playoff expanding, 
and uh, you know other people you know, over time that you know that we know or that we've heard of that also do not want to expand. It it, it kind of dawned on me that people watch and enjoy college football for different reasons than I do, and I I, I guess it's up to me to try to understand that. And so uh, I think that's fine. That's perfectly cool. You you that you nobody has to watch or care about the same stuff I do obviously that that's doesn't even need to be said so I guess my uh kind of what you were saying is I understand the the idea of the nostalgia factor and you kind of want these regional rivalries uh and my thought is though that's that's still here even with an expanded playoff I mean if if you're someone that's super into regional rivalries uh, the fact that the playoff could be expanded and there's less penalties for losing games gives more of a chance that regional rivalries will exist even if you're out of the conference because there's no risk in losing that game, really. There's no, not as there much is. risk as there was in the but past. Look at reality. Not though. as much as there look was at in reality. the past. I don't know when the next time OU and Oklahoma State are going to play after these next couple years. After, after, yeah, you well, know, I, don't, I don't either, but, but, wouldn't you are, but wouldn't you say that if the playoff was expanded and uh, you know, losing one, two, even three games in a season it wasn't as detrimental to your playoff chances as it was in the past. That yeah, you'd see uh, you'd see them schedule each other a lot quicker because why not? Maybe, maybe that. I mean that 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 could be a result of you know when this thing plays out. I think that's less likely in a twelve teamer for sure than than our preferred twenty four teamer. But um, I don't know, man. Sure, and, like that sure. was that was just one example. The regional rivalry was just one example. I, you know, if you go and look, yeah, I, if, I, if, if I you go it. and look at the Twitter back and forth between the two, the thing that the thing that Pate brings up is what what defines success. How do you define success in a college football season? And so one of his points is it's becoming increasingly harder for a team like Mississippi State to define success, or a team like Baylor to define success. But maybe that's a bad example. Maybe Iowa State would be a better example. Um, whereas the emphasis on the playoff is essentially means you do not have a successful season unless you make the playoff. Well, where we are right now, that means you're in the elite of the elite. Like that means you have to be a top five recruiter, a top five, top 10 recruiter. And you got to be able to compete against the big boys day in and day out. Whereas that wasn't always the case back in the day. And you can absolutely argue that this is, you know, this, this way is more fair. It's more, it, you know, the cream rises to the top a lot more in this instance. And I think it does, obviously. I think we're crowning the better team a lot more often than we used to. Or the best team a lot more than we used to. But there's always the question is, is it more fun though? Do we actually sure, like I- it? Do, do we like it more? Um, and that's, and, and that's, that's a more difficult question to answer because that's, that's a question I personally don't think we can answer until Nick Saban retires from the sport. Um, because I, I think, I think Nick Saban existing is a bigger problem in college football than the playoff is. But, um, that's, you know, that, that's a conversation here, you know, for another day, but, but th- that's a big part of his argument too, of what defines success and are we, are we making it harder for, you know, for teams to have successful seasons, by transitioning more to this new model. Yeah, and I know Joe Klatt has brought that up before too, like on Colin Coward's show, and uh, that was kind of the, the gist of, of one of Klatt's initial tweets. And my question back to, to J- both those guys, Joel and, and Pate, is, well, who is deciding on what's success and what's not success? Is it, is it uh, Josh Pate on his national show? Is it Joe Klatt? Or is it the, the Arkansas fans? Is it uh, the people in the state of Oklahoma? Because uh, in my mind, like, I think that's, 
I, I think it's kind of a bad argument because I don't think it's difficult to define success right now. Every single season, teams go in with with expectations based off of what they have, what they did last year, what they are, and like everyone kind of knows that. Like Mississippi State's never expected to make the playoff. Uh, if they get a team and, and get close, great. But I mean, they can go. You know, eight nine wins is, is a successful year for a team like that. Uh, like look at Iowa. But I, I, I think mean, Iowa I, I think could, you know Mississippi State is an example that they would say though. I mean, but they're in the belly of the beast. They're in the SEC. You know, going seven and five in the SEC and you do it over and over and over again. How you know how often does that does that feel like success? I don't know. You're you're right. I mean, I I I think what you said there is pretty is pretty you know that's pretty persuasive, right? When you say it's the Arkansas fan base that decides who you know who has a successful season. Um, I you know. On the aforementioned, you know, Andy Staples podcast that I was listening to earlier this week, they had a discussion about, you know, what it's going to be like when a 12 seed beats a five seed for the first time in the playoff, which is going to happen. And they said it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Who says <laughs> that, you know, when that happens, if, if, if that 12 seed, let's say that 12 seed is Arkansas State or something like that. And they're one of the they're one of the highest ranked, you know, uh, conference champions and they get in as the 12 seed and it's their best team in program history. And they beat like a, a Penn State team or something like that on the road in the first, you know, in the first round. That is probably still going to be, you know, Arkansas State fans' favorite game of all time. That's something they're going to remember, you know, forever. And I thought that was a really good mm-hmm. point. And so, um, the answer to the question is, how are these teams going to, you know, define success? Is it's going to evolve. It, it's going to completely evolve. Hmm. Yeah. And um, and I think, you know. Especially like if, if, you know, just take that question just sort of, you know, in a vacuum, how do you define success? I think as an OU fan right now, it's pretty hard to define success for OU. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's pretty hard, but that's Nick Saban's uh, fault. That's Nick Saban's fault more so than anything. Well, do you mean in general or just like this season? Because to me, it's season to season. Is that because I mean, it is last season. It is. But, you know, as an OU fan, OU is a blue blood where, you know, Blue bloods exist to win national championships and be the best, to be the best of the best. That's that's what you want to do. That's what the blue bloods are constantly competing for every single year. I just saw Oklahoma go eleven and two last season. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of programs who would kill for a ten win season, much less an eleven, you know, much less an eleven win season. And I'm on record as saying that's the worst OU team since 1999. And was sure, and, and, but, and was my and was my least favorite OU team ever, but they won eleven and two just, and they won a bowl game and they beat Texas, and it's just like you know I when I look at that I'm just like ah that's a pretty successful season but it didn't feel like it why well th- but because that's the bit about being an Oklahoma fan that's just kind of how it is that, that, if you're a Nebraska fan right now it's pretty tough because uh, how do you define success I'm sure they wouldn't. I'm sure they'd say that the Scott Frost era has been uh, a big time failure right now. I'm sure it's evolved. Uh, I'm sure they would just love a seven and five season right now. Exactly. And look back when Oklahoma was down in the nineties and when Bob Stoops got here, I mean that first year under Bob Stoops, they go seven and five, what seven and six, right? They lost the bowl game. That was a successful season. He had a good year. I mean, the offense was great. Everything, all this changes. And obviously the next year was insane. They go on to win a national championship. I, I guess that's to me, it's not that difficult. I mean, Every single year, you go into the season with expectations. The reason why last season was uh, a letdown is because, yes, they won 11 games, but listen to every podcast. We don't need to go through it all, but the way in which Oklahoma played was underwhelming. (laughs) Just because they won 11 games using our eyeballs, the way they played, uh, heck, I mean, 
they, they were more like a seven win team in a lot sure, of ways. Sure. Uh, they got lucky a lot. And so I guess I no. to to boil it down, I guess to the point is I think if if someone is saying, you know, hey, I, I'm I'm worried about how we define success going forward, what I think they're probably saying is I'm worried that this emphasis on the playoff and just whoever wins the national championship by the national media and by whoever, you know, people have to tune into in order to consume this product that they love. I think the worry is that eventually it'll set in a fatigue will set in amongst the programs that don't really have a chance to compete with the Alabamas and the Georgia of the world. And eventually they'll just be like, gosh, man, what's, what's the point? I don't really care that much anymore. I think that's the fear. I doubt that that's going to happen. And I think the evidence that that's not going to happen, you can see, you know, last Thursday night in the backyard brawl, neither of those teams are getting anywhere close to a national championship any, any, like any time close in the near future or maybe ever. And that was one of the most passionate, entertaining games I've seen ever in college football. And so I think, you know, that's the stuff that I choose to focus on because, hey, man, I've, I've been through this ringer before. I've gotten to the point, I've gotten really worked up about this stuff, this thing that I love really, really changing. But man, as soon as everything kicks off, it's college football again. Yep. And you know, yes, it's obviously the backyard brawl rivals. That's a big deal. Uh, NFL stadium. But why college football and why the NFL and everything, it's, it's going to be healthy for a long, long time is again, like I've said a million times on this podcast, it's rare. There's not very many games. It's a party. It's an event. It's a social event. People, it's a Saturday. It's a fun day of the week. That's a big reason why it's so popular. People like to have fun. And sure, like late in the season when teams are bad and it's like a, you know, a, a three and seven team against like a, a, a whatever, four and six team and some you know in, in a max stadium okay like yeah you're not gonna get as much enthusiasm but but even i mean in the what sec if, and the big ten and stuff, what if it's a rivalry game it. against you know fan bases that well, actually yeah, hate will. each and then and even then it's still great but yeah good point you're right even if they're having bad seasons if it's a rivalry game you're still gonna get it absolutely and so that i guess that's why i'm never really worried about any of this stuff just because i feel like human nature one we we know more than ever over the last, you know, after 2020, people starve for sports. People love sports. And for years, I took sports for granted. It, it's just, it's, it's my job. Uh, it's kind of there. But then it was gone. And it was a reminder that, wow, sports is, you know, sports are really important. And especially the most popular sport in this country, which is football, NFL and college football, the two most popular sports in this country. And they're only getting more and more popular. And I think the expansion of the playoff is not going to hurt that popularity. Yeah, I mean, I... Good stuff, I, good and, stuff, yeah. And you're, you're probably right. I mean, all of the TV ratings and everything suggests that you are right. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I really, really hope that's why in this new playoff they need to emphasize the things that are great about college football. And that means playing games on campus. One of the worst things about college football is them playing neutral site games. Yeah, unless the awful unless they're on games. Yeah. unless they're on you know tradition laced neutral site field like the Cotton Bowl or the Rose Bowl yeah. or that stuff is great uh, you know the stuff that actually is established as as a history that people like I mean I mean the how many freaking games in Week One were played in in that stadium in Atlanta where the Falcons play like who cares I I I instantly I like my eyes instantly glaze over when there's a college football game played in that stadium. Yeah, I was pretty sure that the Florida State LSU game was down in Baton Rouge. And then I, when I turned it on and it was in New Orleans, I was like, ah, I thought this game was at Death Valley. Like, ah, all right, well, whatever. It's just, yeah, it, it doesn't, it takes a little bit away for sure. 
All right, let's talk OU football. That was a lot, uh, a lot more playoff talk than I thought, but I, hopefully it was interesting for you guys out there listening. Uh, Grant, so I went back and you know, was able to rewatch you know, the UTEP game uh, because before uh, our last podcast on Sunday morning, I only got through the first quarter. Uh, and uh, by the way, I, you know, I released the episode. Unfortunately, it didn't go out to iTunes, but I didn't put any episode notes in there because I wanted to get it out as soon as possible. Hopefully, you guys didn't mind that at all. Hopefully, you just you, know, you were wanting the UTEP recap as fast as possible. And that's what I was trying to do because on Sundays I got to get out, I got to work. And so it's either I do the episode notes, but I got to wait until after I get off work, you know, 1130 at night to do it. Or I just immediately put it, upload it and you guys get it in the afternoon. So hopefully that was cool. Uh, All right. So after the rewatch grant, I will say I wasn't bothered by the defense as much giving up kind of, you know, some easy yards that, when I left Owen Field, I kind of thought, oh, there's a little, there are too many little easy yards that they allowed. So I wasn't as bothered by that after I kind of watched it back. Uh, but the thing that I was a little bit uh, bothered is too strong of a word. But my mind was changed a bit, kind of in the negative direction. Dylan Gabriel, to me, he came away looking even more meh than I had even imagined him while I watched it live through a camera lens. Uh, I don't know, whenever you went back and watched the game, did you, maybe, maybe you mentioned it on the last podcast, that Dylan Gabriel actually, it, didn't look even you know looked a little bit worse than I even remembered. Looks he looks really meh. Yeah, he he really yeah. he really wasn't great on Saturday. Yeah, so I mean the vast majority of pass plays, at least in that game, and, and Jeff Levy said I'm not not sure if it's a system or at least in that game they look to be one read plays. And if that you know that first read wasn't there against UTEP, there wasn't much else that Gabriel did. Uh, his ball placement on a few throws was pretty bad uh timing at least for one of them on one of those three and outs that they had in the second quarter he was a tick late in his release to Jalil Farouk that I think that was a third down pass that was broken up uh and then you mentioned I think on the last episode uh, a, a ball he airmailed I think the Theo Weiss kind of on the far hash the far sideline uh and that was yeah I mean he was open that was a bad throw and then later in the game the interception he threw near the goal line he got bailed out. I think uh, you mentioned that he got bailed out on the podcast. I hadn't seen the replay, and I agree. Uh, that was a bad call. That wasn't P.I. That was a good play by the DB. So I mean, if they were going to call it on Stutzman earlier in the game, that's it was fair game to throw it there. But but it was. I, I mean, guess, it, yeah. it wasn't P.I. on Stutzman, and that wasn't P.I. either. Yeah, so, I mean, so he should have had an interception. I mean, that was I thought that was a good play by the D-back. So um, I, I understand that Dylan Gabriel's not Baker Mayfield. He's not Kyler Murray. Uh, or, you know, Caleb Williams. You know, when Caleb Williams He's was, not Jalen Hurts either. Uh, I mean, arm talent-wise, they're pretty similar. I no, mean, Jalen Hurts, no. Probably... Hurts is much, much better. The The starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles has a much more talented arm than Dylan Gabriel. No, well, well, well no. I mean, the reason why Hurts is a thing is because he can move. Like, but, you know, my God. Like, did you see the playoff I'm, game last year? I'm, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm very, very stuck in the mud on this one. You're really wrong about this. No, I'm not, Grant. Like, it, you got to be able to throw the ball. Remember, Dylan Gabriel is not game? going to sniff the NFL. Jalen Hurts has no, is no, going into his third year starting in the NFL. Well, it's his second year starting. He, he didn't really start the first year. Uh, and the big reason is because Jalen Hurts can move. That's like he can, he can move better than and uh, he can move better than Dylan Gabriel. But arm talent wise, like Jalen Hurts doesn't have very strong arm. He doesn't. Uh, he he was man. He just doesn't. So I'm I am surprised that he's been able to do what he can do in the NFL at some point it's not going to work anymore because he just he's he's very limited as a passer he just is uh and I mean so is Dylan Gabriel 
Uh, I don't know, but I, I think I think Jalen Hurts is a really accurate passer. He was a really accurate passer at o- at Oklahoma. I agree that he doesn't have like a rocket arm, but it's a lot stronger than Dylan Gabriel's. No, it's not. That's it's not a lot. No, it's not. It's he his timing is bad. I just anytime he plays anybody good, he looks really bad. <laughs> he looks really really okay. Bad. It, it it doesn't matter. I mean the like the bottom line with this is that you know I the jury is still out on on Dylan Gabriel, and like this is not me saying. I, it's it's never gonna happen. I like I'm. It's not even close to this at all. I, I think Dylan Gabriel is is a good player. It's just he isn't. He's he is not going to be able to do some things that prior OU quarterbacks have been able to do. He's really gonna rely on on scheming stuff open, on getting stuff schemed yeah. open for him. It's because it, I mean even even when he's at UCF, when his first read wasn't there, ooh man, he got happy feet really quickly. You could tell that he panicked, and I you yeah, know he's gonna, he's gonna I saw that really a little bit protection. against UTEP. Yeah, he's he's gonna need a, his offensive line to be on point every single snap, and they weren't uh, against Utah. No, I mean they they were up and down for sure. And I mean, I listened to the Sooner Scoop podcast, the post game podcast, and I mean they were all very complimentary of Dylan Gabriel. I mean, you and I might I don't know about you know everybody else around the OU media. I haven't talked about Dylan really to many other guys uh, or or media members, but I, I'm. Are you and I maybe kind of on like out there, kind of alone, where we're kind of like I don't know about Dylan Gabriel right now. Like I, I don't know if he played all that well, guy. Like he he didn't he played good. Don't get like he he had a good game. It's just you you watch it and it was eh, there's there's a lot there to be desired. Uh, am, am I crazy in thinking that maybe you and I are maybe the only ones or some of the only people that are kind of like oh well, let's wait and see here. Maybe outwardly the people who are you know putting stuff out there maybe. Um, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but yeah, I mean I. I Generally speaking, I'm just trying I've, to create some drama here on the podcast. Try, try generally speaking, I've heard I, I've heard a lot of people kind of sort of hand wave his performance on Saturday as uh just wasn't trying to do too much or he knew he was playing against UTEP and I don't, he just didn't really look all that talented to me is, is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. I mean, it's one game, and I'll give it. I mean, I I'd be very happy to you know seven weeks from now to look back and think, man, remember whenever we were kind of down on Dylan Gabriel after week one, that's, that's crazy. He's having a great year. You know, that that's the best case scenario. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of things that he can do to, you know, ameliorate that lack of talent. I mean, he's, he's played a lot of football. He's thrown for a lot of yards. He's, he clearly has some tools in his toolbox, but yeah, I mean, when, you know, we've, we've been very used to toolsy people, Toolsy quarterbacks at Oklahoma for the last six or seven seasons. <laughs> Tool, toolsy quarterbacks. I gotta be careful with that. What do you mean? You mean like uh, I'm actually gonna use lot, that word later to describe uh, <laughs> to describe Spencer the quarterback Rattler? that OU is facing on on Saturday. But huh. Um, anyways, okay. So a couple more do's and notes. Uh, you know, Wanya Morris. We got an update from Brent Venables. Not much of an update. Uh, he has been practicing. Venable said that they're hoping that they can resolve his off the field issue, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, interesting though, Dean asked Venables that you know once he's able to get back, you know, and, and he's el- you know eligible to play or able to play. Dean asked him if he's going to be able to get his spot back, and Venables said that he expects Wanya Morris back in the starting lineup, uh, you know, whenever he's able to play again, just based on whatever this issue is. So. Interesting. It doesn't sound like he's in danger of losing his job, even though obviously he hasn't started a game yet this year, but uh, he was number one on the depth chart. So that was kind of an interesting piece of information from Venables' press conference. And sure, and I think, and, um, uh, yeah. you know, going into the game, there's been a lot of talk, and hey, I'm, 
I'm not I'm not someone who is really ever going to talk about like the intricacies of the offensive line or anything like that because frankly it's just that's just not my bag and I'm gonna let people who are more qualified talk about it. Um, but there's been a lot of people very outspoken. Gabe Eichard being one of them, Josh McQuiston over at Sooner Scoop being the other, talking about pr- pretty much just kind of how bad the offensive line was collectively on Saturday. And I know Gabe, you know, threw a lot of that on. Eh, it's not fair to say that, but you know, Gabe was really questioning, you know, McCade Mataillier if he was healthy, whether or not, um, you know. And I, I didn't go back and really watch Mataillier a lot, like you know, under a microscope. But I, I do know he busted on the very first play of the game. He was replaced by Robert Conjol numerous times over the course of the game. And I'll just kind of take Gabe's word for it. I'll take Josh's word for it that he he was bad. He was straight up bad on Saturday. And um, I don't. I don't really know how, how to explain that because he is a guy who did start a lot of games at Cal. I mean, this is his, I mean, I think this is his, his share of his fourth season starting in college football. And, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much Wanya Morris being out and then Anton Harrison having to go over to the right side with Guyton on the left side, how, you know, how much that had to do with it. I don't know, but I, I, I gotta tell you, I mean, watching the game, just, I, you know, I, I judge the offensive line collectively as a unit. How often are, are is is the defense getting close to the quarterback? You know, how you know, you know how easily are they able to, you know, to get yards, one or two yards on the ground up front before the, the running back is being touched. And I didn't think the offensive line looked very good against UTEP. And I'm I'm kind of one of those guys who has been out saying that, hey, you know, the offensive line struggles over the past you know, past couple of years have been kind of overblown in terms of the narrative from the fan base. And I really, really do believe that. Um I thought I thought the offensive line looked worse against UTEP than they really ever have over the last handful of seasons. To be honest with you, yeah, I'm not gonna go that far. I mean, sure, I'm not gonna argue with Gabe Eichert, who knows a lot more about offensive line than, than I do. But I, I actually I, I came away from that game. I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, I I was actually more uh, impressed with the way they ran the ball than than I thought. You know, I, and they, I thought they, they, they ran the ball well. well. Ran the ball well. No negative uh, plays like, in the run game, yeah. and a lot of their their success rate running the ball was very high. But like when I left the game on Saturday, just to me, I mean, I, in my mind, I had, you know, Eric Gray's long run. There was a Marcus Major explosive run and then kind of like some short, you know, by the goal line, the short touchdown runs. But like those were kind of like whatever to me. Uh, but again, I watched it back. I realized, oh, th- there's actually uh, there's a lot more there than I thought. And, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, Gray and, and Major were able to, you know, get yards, you know, positive yards and kind of get what's was blocked for him, which is the job of this offense is, you know, to, to get in that four to six yard range. And I thought they did a good job of that. And I mean, you know, as, as far as the offensive, but as far as the offensive line goes, uh, you know, maybe McCabe Matar, he was just, you know, it was game one, you know, at, at, at Memorial Stadium. He was taking it all in. He was kind of had some jitters, you know, he had to, and now he got them all kind of out of his system. And maybe he had now COVID. We're on to Kent State. <laughs> I mean, well, like, speaking of that, and that's uh, what, that's uh, almost certainly why Daniel Parker wasn't there. That, so that's where I was going to, uh, so Daniel Parker is expected to be back, according to Brent Venables. Uh, Venables said that Parker missed the UTEP game because he had the sniffles. And honestly, the first thing I thought when he said that, like Venables kind of like made a, like a joke about it, but I thought, oh, did he have COVID? Like, are they still doing that? Are they, are we, are we still, are they still testing for COVID? Uh, because that, like, who, the sniffles, like, what is that? You know, like, come on. Uh, so I was going to say, yeah, it, I, like, he, you know, the sniffles makes it sound like he had just a cold, right? If he had a cold, he would have been playing in that game for sure. He had COVID. Yeah. I, I guess I don't know that for sure. I just, I, that seems, <laughs> that seems to be the, your, just like yeah. the most logical leap. All right, anything else? I don't know if you've paid attention to Jeff Lebby or Ted Roof or Brent Venables, anything they've said or any, like any, anything else you want to get on to this week before we talk Kent State? 
I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, really not a whole lot of, of developments this week at all. Um, I think a lot of people just kind of want to see what's going on with Wanye Morris. And because, uh, right, I mean, he's the only outside of TD Roof who got hurt, you know, nearly a month ago now. It's Wanye is really kind of the only guy there that is preventing them from being at full strength. So um, because, you know, going into Saturday, I mean, this is this is a game that's that's really similar to the game that they played last week as well in terms of the stakes, what we're watching for, kind of what needs to happen for them before they head to Lincoln. Um, so, yeah. Actually, I will bring something else up because there's a uh, man. Britt Venables loves him some Gavin Freeman. And you may have seen uh, he he like loosely made a comparison of Gavin Freeman and brought up Adrian Peterson and like the, the way in which they run, which like Venables like, yeah, I get it. Now, I'm not saying that this guy is like this other guy, but just the way I guess Freeman explodes and the way he like he runs like legitimate four five like you know on the field and pads man Brent Venables loves himself some Gavin Freeman uh and really interesting I I loved what Venable I wish I would have pulled it now that I'm thinking about it but Venable said that he would go up to Lebby Jeff Lebby and like ask like hey like where does this guy fit in uh and then he like went over to DeMarco Murray because DeMarco Murray does special team stuff and he was like hey can can this guy return punts uh, you know, he's super sure of himself, you know, like Billy Bowman's there, too. Uh, and I guess I'm looking back at my notes right now. He said, uh, like, DeMarco Murray was like, man, but he's a freshman, though. And Brent Venable said, he, t- he told DeMarco Murray, man, don't be afraid because he's a freshman. He's like, it's like, so what? So what's it's a, it's a freshman? Like, what's the worst that can happen? He muffs a punt. We turn it over. Well, guess what? We'll go stop them then. Like, that mentality of Brent Venable is like, so what? Who cares? It's, He's a good player. I don't care. He's a freshman. Just let him give give him a shot. Like if he messes up, whatever. We'll we'll take care of business on the other end. I love that from his press conference. It was it was kind of simple, but at the same time, like I'm not sure I've ever heard that from a coach. In terms of a mindset just, for a head coach, that is utterly correct. Yes, just completely. And just I just I love that. Like so, what he fumbles, we turn it over, we'll stop him. And that's what he, I mean. That's how Venable said it. It's like, oh man, that is. This is a this is a football guy that's confident in his defense. I'm still hung and, up uh, on I'm I'm still hung up on the last coaching staff not being interested in that guy. Hmm. I, I like it's that's utterly indefensible. A guy like that, and I understand that there are not a, not a lot of schools were after him, but I mean this is a guy who accepted a preferred walk on status when Brent Venables got here, which means he wanted to come to OU. All you got to do is turn on that guy's highlight tape and watch him dominate. And I just don't understand, especially as an in-state kid, why you wouldn't just be like, okay, yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll take a flyer on this guy. We can't because, like, we're going to feel really dumb if this guy goes to Kent State and is, like, and is like an all-conference receiver and goes, goes and plays in the NFL. We're going to feel really dumb. Well, he was committed to Texas Tech, and I think maybe, you know, at one point you would you use that example with it'd be really dumb if he went over and played at Texas Tech and then you're watching him score touchdowns against you on Saturdays. Uh, but then like the new staff came in and the, I guess the new staff, you know, it's, this is how Venables told the story on Tuesday. Uh, the new staff didn't recruit him. And so he was, you know, for lack of a better term, a free agent and goes to Oklahoma in state, you know, new staff and Venables turned the high school tape on. He said, didn't take long for me to be impressed. It didn't like- take long to see what he can do. It's the same deal. Like it was, it was kind of the same deal, right? Like you know, Drake Stoops came here as a walk-on too. I know he was a 
He had a guy who had a really similar recruiting profile to, to Gavin Freeman as well. You go turn on Drake Stoops' high school tape, and you're just like, this guy's the best player on the field. Like, why yeah. wouldn't everyone want this guy in the country? And it's just like, I know he's small, but it's like, get this guy into a strength and conditioning program. He's explosive already at that size in high school. Get into a strength and conditioning program and just see what happens. I don't know. It's, there's like... Being a college football coach and recruiting and coming up with a recruiting strategy and, and you know thinking ahead years and years has got to be extremely difficult. But sometimes it's not that difficult. And in Gavin Freeman's case, that is that's an example of it right there. You know, who's the wide receiver that we're supposed to be tracking? That uh, oh, here we go. I found him. Uh, the guy from Stephenville, Texas. I just thought of it because you were talking about these. Uh, remember uh, Coy Aiken? I do. So he's at Texas Tech. I wonder if he did anything in game one. I'll have to look up his stats. I'll see if he's playing. Because, I mean, he was, like, obviously so good. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously been one game, right? So uh, who knows if he even played. But uh, anyways, let's, uh, let's talk OU Kent State. And you and I, we wa- went back. We, we watched Kent State's game against Washington. And, uh, by the way, OU enters, uh, you know, as we record this on Wednesday evening, According to ESPN.com, OU is a 33-and-a-half-point favorite. So I'm going to ask the question, what did the Kent State-Washington game tell us? And I'm going to throw it over to you, Grant, to start. Do you want to, do you want to be, be on the offensive side? Let's, yeah, let's go offense. So uh, Kent State's offense. Offense, what I'm going to have the, a, lot, a lot more thoughts on their offense. I, you know, their defense is same. really bad. That's really the only thing to say about it. <laughs> that, uh, honestly, man, that's basically my notes, too, for the defense. <laughs> so yeah, I have a lot more on the offense too. So, by the way, I'm, I'm looking up. Uh, let's see, Texas Tech played Murray State. I'm just, I'm so interested to see if this guy did anything. Uh, no, he's not even in the box. Score. I mean, probably not. All I'm right. sure. I'm sure it'll. I'm sure it'll be a while. They had a couple of hundred yard receivers though in the game. So, anyways, so okay, I'll start. I, I guess. Wait, hold on. Do you want to start? No, I'll start. Sorry, this is bad podcasting. All right, we'll start with the quarterback. You know what? Actually, no, you go because I think you wanted to, to talk some smack on this quarterback. Or no, were you going to talk smack on him? Uh, no, not really. He's it's so I watched this game. You were going to call him a tool or something? Yeah, I was calling him Toolsy because he's Toolsy. Oh, Toolsy, tool. Oh, I thought you were going to call him a tool. Oh, no, okay. he's he's Toolsy. He obviously like there are some things when you watch him physically in terms of raw physicality and talent. There are some things that you obviously like when you watch him. I, I feel like um, Colin Schlee. Colin Schlee. Now, I I hate his last name. I'm I'm sorry to, to his entire namesake and his family. It's just I, I some people hate the word moist. I don't know. His last name does that to me. I I don't <laughs> like his last name. But whatever. And so he's a guy I mean, who. You I look mean, at what his, part of his last name? Do you, I mean, what part of his last name do you not like? I mean, it's kind of kind of an important question. I mean, I understand I mean. that your name is is literally spelled within his last name, but it's not it's pretty messed up, dude. That actually has nothing up, to do with it. It's just like his it's Schlee. I don't know. I don't like it. Don't like it. But if you look at this guy's line, Lee, it's 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 a line obviously against Washington that doesn't really jump out at you. In fact, it jumps out at you for mostly just being kind of mediocre. He was 12 of 24 for 178. So when he did complete passes, he was completing them in chunks, but he threw one touchdown, he also threw two picks. Both of them were pretty bad picks as well. But I, you know, when I say he's toolsy, what I mean is he moves pretty well, and when he actually throws the ball, the ball comes out of his hand really easily. As in, he has quite a bit of easy arm strength. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that too. Uh, he's very athletic. He's a tall drink of water. Uh, he's pretty fast too. He's got really good straight line speed, uh, and he's got some 
ability to to move out of the pocket, avoid sacks. Uh, by the way, though, I mean, I watched most of the game. I, I turned it off after he threw a really bad pick late in the third quarter. But you talked about his line, 12 of 24, 178, a touchdown, two interceptions. He did lead the team in rushing, eight carries for 47 yards. But, again, another reason why like, – QBR is a terrible stat. His QBR for the game was 74.9, which is pretty good. That he didn't he did not play pretty good, pretty well against but Washington. But see that he, actually he, he was, but like that that kind of works out to me because when I was watching it I was like, "Oh, this guy's kind of the entire team. Like this guy stirs the entire drink. Like anything that's good is happening like is happening because of him a lot of the time." And See, I didn't get that. I I, I think they should have gotten the ball try to get the ball more to their to Cephas, two super talented wide receivers. I mean, they got two of them. They're, they have two really good receivers and them, you know, not getting the, you know, just getting the ball to them in space more was a problem. Uh, Schley, I mean, yeah, he was fine, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the one good, you know, he rolled out to his left and had a really nice throw to Cephas in the first half on an explosive play. That was probably his best throw of the day on the run. Uh, his, his touchdown pass was a nice throw as well. It's, yeah, that's, uh, and the, that's the one where like I, when I wrote down, like the ball comes out of his hand really easily if you go yeah. back and watch that, it's it's just it's a really smooth forty-seven yard touchdown pass, where he he identified the the one-on-one coverage pre-snap. He was going to the guy the entire time, and he gets to the back of his drop, and it's really smooth, and he he doesn't chuck it in the air. It's just a really really nice kind of flick of the wrist, and the ball kind of explodes out of his hands, and he throws a really accurate nice ball in that particular instance. Um, but I guess Lee, you know, as I as I watched the game more and more, it became pretty clear to me that the dude is really inconsistent with his accuracy and his decision-making as well. And I don't think it, like that is, that is best highlighted one on the first pick that he throws, which is on an RPO slant, very similar to the, you know, to the slant that um, Gabriel threw to, to Drake Stoops on the second play of the game against UTEP, except this time Washington's nickelback was playing tight kind of bump and run man on man, you know, man to man coverage and Schley had already made up made up his mind that he was throwing the slant. He just threw it right into the uh, right into the belly of the safety that was reading his eyes the entire time. Um, that was a really bad decision. And then the second one, he, he just he he was on the run and he threw the ball. I, I guess he didn't see the two defenders that were right in his throwing lane, and he just tossed it up and it was picked off. Um, I don't know. So like basically, with Colin Schley is that I totally expect him to probably make some WTF head scratching plays in this game. That probably sent you know send Kent State back you know quite a bit really like <laughs> kind of ruin their chances to win the game if it's still close, um, but I could also see him making a lot of really good throws in this game that really frustrate OU fans especially like I could see him making plays like he gets out of the pocket is able to get is able to you know step out of sacks or he's able to you know to get out of a sack after he's already been touched and then be able to like you know thread you know thread the needle on a pass on the run like over the middle of the field really similarly to how Gavin Hardison did a couple of times last week easily I can see Colin Schley doing that which is you know I'm, I'm watching this and Man, not everyone, not every quarterback in the Big Twelve can do that. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, and Oklahoma needs to be better at that. They Hardison got him, you know, a, a few times on Saturday. So I, I agree with you on that. Um, so Kent State's offense is up tempo. It's you know, it's I guess and it's similar to Oklahoma. I mean, they're, they're not going to go as fast as OU. Uh, I mean, they they could never get going against Washington because they just they couldn't really get first downs. Couldn't run the ball. They were behind the. They couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't run the ball. They were behind the eight ball. And you know, talking to Jeff Levy the other day, I mean. Uh, obviously the key on an up-tempo offense is you got to get that first first down and that's how you kind of keep going fast and fast and 
early in the game, Kent State was struggling with it. And by the time they kind of got something going, they were down by three touchdowns, four touchdowns. So it didn't matter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, RPOs, zone reads, and then getting the ball to their two best players, which are the aforementioned Dante Cephas and Devontae Walker. Uh, Cephas is, uh, he's, he's better of the two, but I mean, Devontae Walker looks really good too. I mean, I, their, their size is really good. I like it. Um, I, I was, you know, I was watching Grant, uh, Dante Cephas, and you mentioned him on the last podcast. I was trying to decide on like who he reminds me of, like what, what receiver, like when I see him play, I mean, I've only seen this game of him, but you know, who did he remind me of? Did, did you get any thoughts of, man, this guy reminds me of somebody? Because I have a name in mind. I'm curious if you had any names in mind as well. You have a name, like, actually on the tip of your tongue? You know who it is? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it down. I mean, No, like, I, kinda... I don't. I, I, all I know about Cephas, he looks like an NFL guy. Not, like, not like overwhelming, like, first-round pick, but he looks like a guy who plays on Sundays, for sure. So, again, I was trying to figure out who he reminded me of. Like, he's super athletic, but he's not really smooth. Like, he, like, he kind of plays, like and runs with reckless abandon to me like kind of his arms are kind of all out of there like his so i was i was watching him and i mean maybe this is also kind of the way his hair his hair is too he's kind of got the hair coming out of the helmet he kind of like his style and like his size like he's about 6'1 186 kind of thickish but not really to me he kind of looked like deandre hopkins yeah that's yeah i the, mean i can i i can see that because like DeAndre Hopkins is not going to blow you away with like super fast four three speed. He's kind of got some power to him, and just like he's he's not that smooth either. He's just kind of like this big kind of burly guy, but like he'll get tough catches, and especially kind of later in his career, like the last couple of years in Arizona, he, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying this guy is DeAndre Hopkins, but just that's kind of like who he looked like to me when he's on uh, the TV. First guy that's kind of what mind. he looks like with the ball in his hand. Yeah. 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 But he's also, good. he's a good player. He's good. He's good. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy. He eighty-two catches and you know over twelve hundred yards last season. Nine touchdowns as well. And so the I'm, the other receiver that you're mentioning, you're talking about Devontae Walker, right? Yeah, yeah, he's good too. And so and he's you know he's a guy who didn't really have a role last season. I was looking, he only had like six catches a season ago. Uh, but you know, uh, did he have over a hundred yards in this game? I don't think he did. No, nah, he had like fifty-six yards. But I mean, he's got he had that good forty-seven size as yard well. touchdown though. Yeah, yeah, he was. He had the touchdown, uh, number eighty-one. He's. I mean, uh, Cephas is six-one again, like six-one, one-eighty-six. Walker, he's the bigger of the two. He's six-three, one-ninety-two. Uh, those are the two. I mean, from what I saw in the you know the one game, those are the two best players. I know they have a running back that they like a lot. He didn't do a whole lot. He uh, the running back Cooper. Was, he's Marquez a thousand Cooper. yarder last year too. He uh yeah he had one really really nice run in the third quarter on the the drive that ended up. Uh, halting because of the terrible pick by Schley. Uh, but most of the game, he couldn't run the ball. Washington's defense was able to stymie him. So he's the other guy that uh, you know keep an eye out for. But Oklahoma did such a good job at stopping UTEP's run game. I hope that they can stop Kent State's run game as well. But, you know, it's game to game. I mean, this offense is I, – I, do you think this offense is better than UTEP's offense? Yes. I don't know. Yes, probably. Um, but Pro- mostly yeah, just I, because I so. it feels like – feels like Kent State has, and I guess I just know Kent State has been running this offense now for a handful of years. They're, this is kind of their identity. This is what they do. They also return, you know, they return a guy, a running back who ran for 1,200 yards last year, a receiver who had 1,200 yards last year. The one thing I couldn't really get a, and, you know, I, sh- I should have looked more into this about how many guys they were returning on their offensive line. Uh, because, you know, they were, their offensive line was getting, getting beat, beat up pretty badly by Washington's defensive front. Um, a part of me thinks that's probably why 
Um, I like I look at I look at Schley. He only threw it twenty four times, and like I, while I was watching the game, I was like, man, they. I mean, what Kent State should be doing right now is they should just be getting the ball out as quickly as they can, you know, on the edges to these receivers. They should just they should, they should be throwing it forty times in this game, not trying to just run it into a brick wall, you know, brick wall where it's not gonna you know help. But they just. I really think that their offense is predicated on running the ball and on that up-tempo stuff, kind of just like the the old Art Bryles thing is. And when that's not working, they don't really know what to do. And so it's going to be really important for OU to, I guess, I don't know, what what do you do in this game? Because I, I really do feel like they're, you know, as a defensive scheme, because I do think their entire offense is predicated on the run. I do think they're, you know, they bog down when they're not able to get, you know, four or five yards on first down like that. But also when I watch them, I'm much more scared of Dante Cephas and Devontae's Walker on the outside on the outside than I am of them, you know, you know, cutting OU up up the middle of the field in the run game. Washington played a yeah, lot yeah. of man coverage. I don't know if you noticed that. They played a lot of man coverage up at the line with their uh, with their corners trying to jam the guys. Um OU I that's not really Brent Venables' system, even if they wanted it to be. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's pretty easy for me to envision them, you know, getting some of these kind of annoying crossing routes over the middle of the field behind the linebackers, you know, to extend yep. plays if 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 the defensive line isn't able to get to Schley, you know, organically. And I, you know, I I I, I think this offense is going to present some problems. I this is maybe this is just old OU fan PTSD, but yeah, I could I could easily envision you know some OU fans kind of pulling their hair out because the defense is not getting stops in this game. Yeah, they flashed up a stat that was pretty interesting. After the long touchdown pass from Schley to Devontae Walker, uh, last season Washington was the only school in the FBS that did not allow a 40-plus yard touchdown pass. That's insane. Like that, I saw that. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe that. Yeah, and, and so that's over with in 2022, game one, because uh, Walker's catch was 47. So what a, what a crazy stat that was. But, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's good. Good sign, though. I mean, Oklahoma was so good against the run against UTEP. Uh, same you know, formula against Kent State in a way. You s- slow the run down, make them one-dimensional. Uh, you know, hopefully that translates into success on defense. But, you know, if Oklahoma does continue to keep playing, uh, you know, as, as soft as they were, you know, cushion-wise, maybe that allows Schley to get the ball to those two receivers a lot easier. And those guys, even though Oklahoma had a pretty good day tackling, uh, you know, I mean, it's tough sometimes to tackle really good players in space, you know, over and over and over again. So we'll see how they how they attack it. It is pretty interesting. Interesting matchup. It is. It's it's really interesting. I you know, this Kent State. I mean, they played in the MAC championship game last year, um, and so we'll we'll see. But I I think this, I think you know these are I think these I think this team and UTEP are are fairly similar. I think Kent State's probably a better team. Uh, but, you know, in terms of like, you know, for Oklahoma's purposes, these are really similar games. I just I, I it does look like on paper and by my eyes, Kent State probably has a few more guys that can hurt OU than UTEP does. Whereas like I liked UTEP's two receivers. I, you know, Kent State's two receivers are way better than UTEP's two guys. Well, it's interesting, though. I mean, I, I realize that they play in different conferences, but, you know, you look at as far as expectations, kind of a callback to when we were talking about what defines success. Well, you know, a lot of the ways you can define success if you want to look at to gambling is what's the season win total? I mean, OU's was set at nine and a half. Technically, if Oklahoma wins 10 games this year, that's a successful season based on Vegas standards. Point being, UTEP's season win total for this season grants only five and a half, so not great. Uh, Kent State's set at five. So <laughs> both these teams aren't supposed to be very good. 
Uh, well, Kent State also has five, six win ten. Kent State also has like by far the hardest non-conference schedule in the country too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they got what they got: Washington, OU, and Georgia. Yep, and then <laughs> I, think. I think they I think they play an FCS team in there too. But yeah, so that definitely you know they don't have that kind of slate. They'd be up you know at six or six and a half probably. It's a good point. But still, I mean, there that's still only a you know that's that's Vegas essentially saying you know they're a four and four MAC team though. All right, let's flip the script over to the defense, and it sounds like you and I don't have as much to say about the defense, and it's because there's not a whole lot to say, man. I mean, the question is, what did this Kent State-Washington tape tell you about the Golden Flash's defense? Well, the defense was really, really bad against Washington. I mean, so uh, much Huskies, space. So much space they were so, giving up. Yeah, so much. I mean, the Huskies scored on their first six possessions, five touchdowns, one field goal. Only average in those six possessions. I mean, it's, it's still a good number, but seven yards per play. I figured it'd be more than that. Uh, I mean, the first three or four drives, it was up over eight yards per play. Uh, the new quarterback in Washington, Michael Penix, to your point, Grant, did whatever he wanted, especially early on. There was tons of space. People were wide open. And he, I mean, I, you know, we were ripping on you know, Dylan Gabriel. I was ripping on Jalen Hurts. Uh, Michael Penix probably has a worse arm compared to all three, uh, the other two. I mean, Michael Penix has a water pistol, man. That thing is not strong, and <laughs> didn't matter. It's funny. I was watching matter. him, and I I was watching, and I was like, yeah, I think Penix and Dylan Gabriel are pretty similar in talent. I think I think Gabriel's arm stronger. I mean, the ball was like dying coming out of his 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 hand, but we'll yeah, see. Didn't I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I it's we're we may be verging a little, going a little overboard on Dylan Gabriel here, but uh, no, I think I think the most important thing to mention here too, Lee, is that. Washington was very successful moving the ball against Kent State. I mean, I mean, just got. I mean, all of the space they were giving up, even on third and longs and stuff too, was just insane. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Um, and Lee, I we you have to mention that Washington scored forty five points at about five hundred and forty yards of offense. Scored on their first six possessions, as you said. Lee, Washington had one of the worst offenses in all of college football a season ago. Well, they've had a lot of change. I mean, they got. Brand new staff. I, uh, their new head coach is, I, I think, pretty well-respected. They obviously have a new offensive coordinator. So, uh, and I mean, Michael Penix is there. I mean, he, he had that you know, one good season in Indiana, the, the COVID year. But the point is, so, I mean, there's a lot of, the point is that yeah. Washington looked downright competent, more than competent on offense against Kent State. Yes. And that happened just in one offseason of install, and, just, and that's a new quarterback anyway. A lot of same dudes on that Washington offense that played there last year. That still sucked, even with you know basic plays and stuff like that. I, I don't know, man. I, I and, yeah. and this is and we're going. Kent State had one of the worst defenses in the entire MAC last season as well, um, and yes. they you know they still played in the MAC championship game, but their defense last year was was really pitiful as well. Yeah, and I, I think their defensive coordinators do. I, they, I don't know if they fired them or or what happened because I mean Venables. I, I believe Venables mentioned they have a new defensive coordinator that uh, is implementing a top down style type approach similar to what Iowa State does but man I I didn't I didn't really see much of Iowa State when I watched that game um, I mean in, in in the terms of you know three down linemen most of the time like Iowa State kind of does yes I did see that kind of look more of like, like a three three five but I mean whatever they were doing it, it didn't work and there was so much space and yeah, I was like it's going to be a problem if OU's offense has some issues against this defense on Saturday and 
to your point a moment ago, I'd like to think that Jeff Levy's offensive system and the players at Oklahoma uh, and that offense is better than Washington's offense. (laughs) Hopefully that's the case. But, uh, you know, that's why they play the games. I mean, we can sit there and predict that they're going to be able to go up and down the field and score the first six possessions again like Washington did. And I'd like to think that, but I don't know, man. I mean, what if it's a bad day? I, I mean, that that's a lot of points, man. 33 and a half as we kind of transition to what we kind of think is going to happen in the game. I, I, I mean, I, I'll put it this way. I was pretty confident about an OU covering last week. I think it was – I think they did on the podcast. It was 31 – no, it was 32, so they pushed. But uh, 33 and a half, that's, that's too many. I, I think I'd stay away. Uh, if, if I had to you know, lean, I, you know, I'd, I'd probably take the 33 and a half with Kent State because Kent State, the, the back door might be open and they're not going to quit. So uh, That's my big – th- I think the back door is going to be wide open in this game. I, it's, and, hey, this is, this is me just kind of expecting it to happen in an OU game because I feel like that's, that's kind of what happened in games like this a lot of the time. Like I – it wouldn't surprise me if OU gets out to a really comfortable lead. They're up like, you know, 38 to 10, 45 to 10 or so. And it wouldn't surprise me if the final score is like 59 to 31 or something like that. And we're all really upset that Kent State was able to get, you know, 300 Oof. yards of total offense in the in the second half. That's the worst case scenario. Well, the worst case scenario is a loss, obviously. But that, yeah, for a win, that would be brutal. Because, right, I mean, if, if that happens, right, you're going to have a lot of OU fans kind of be like, oh, boy, here we go again. It ha- they yep. haven't been fixed. And so we'll see. I don't know. Like, I, I, think, I think if OU wants to, they can decide for that not to happen. I, I, I really do. But it's, it's, what, it's whether or not they want to show stuff. And, uh, or it could, it could also just be about whether or not they just play well, man-to-man. They just beat, <laughs> they just beat guys up. And, you know, we'll... We'll see. That's what you want. That's what you want to happen as an OU fan. You want you want OU to be able to just kind of step on the field and just be able to impose their will in this in this case. Just be able to run all of their basic stuff. And and Kent State's still not able to do anything about it. But I don't know. Based off of what we saw in the first game against UTEP, which admittedly in our part probably went a little little bit overboard, you know, being being frustrated by some of the pass plays that UTEP was able to hit. I think they just kind of stand out in their mind, but going back and rewatching it, it didn't happen as often as it felt like in my head watching it live. Yeah. And uh but I don't know, yeah, watching where Kent State did have admittedly not a ton of success last Saturday, but watching where they did have success, it's pretty easy for me to envision them maybe seeing something in in OU's tape against UTEP that they they feel like they could exploit, you know? I get it, and I do like, to OU's credit, I do like that the way the UTEP game played out. The defense saw 82 snaps from UTEP in 95-plus degree weather, so they got a lot of players in, uh, and, and, and Brent Venable said that he was happy with the stamina, he was happy with the conditioning of the guys, and so uh, you know, playing a lot of snaps against UTEP, now they're going to be going up against Kent State, which is a team, in theory, wants to go fast if they're able to go quick, and you know, that, it's there's going to be more conditioning that's needed in this game as well. And so if Oklahoma is used to playing, you know, I mean, they came off at 82 snaps. If they play another 80, you know, on Saturday, it's not going to seem as daunting. And hopefully that's not the case. I'd like OU to have the ball a lot more. And, you know, the, the time of possession to kind of even out a little bit more. Uh, you know, instead of what, you know, 21 or whatever it was, 22, get closer to like 26, 27, 28. That'd be nice. Uh, keep that defense off the field as much as possible. But uh, that's all I have on Kent State OU. You got any other final thoughts before we move on to the rest of the show? No, not really. I think I, I think it's an interesting game. Um, just with 
with with the the style of offense that Kent State runs and and you know them especially last season having a lot of success with it and I, I do think their quarterback is pretty talented, so I, I think there's there's definitely some recipe there, maybe for a little bit of frustration on OU's part. But, uh, man, hopefully, I, I really hope this is a situation, right, where they're able to just take the ball again right away and then march downfield and score and just sort of open it up, you know, um, open it up a, a big lead early on, and hopefully this time it goes a little bit smoother in the second quarter. Yeah, and I am encouraged by the, con- the continued mentality that Brent Venables is putting out there that, it's a cliche, I know, but I will believe it until I see otherwise that this team is focusing one game at a time and they're not looking ahead. Like, I'm not going to buy that they're looking ahead to Nebraska. Like, I just, I think there's just too much at stake. There's just, you know, the offseason, you know, there's so few games. I think Brent Venables is a guy and this staff, they're not going to let these guys look ahead and have their minds wander. So I think, again, game to game, I think these guys are going to be prepared every single game. And that, you know, that's encouraging to me. And until I see anything different, you know, and I see evidence against that on the field, I'm going to assume going into each game that OU mentally is going to be, and, you know, and physically is going to be pretty darn prepared for whoever they're playing. Yeah, I'm there with you. All right, let's talk about the Big 12. Let's look at the Big 12 slates. A couple of games in the Big 12 that are somewhat interesting. We're going to save for our picks. Uh, Alabama and Texas and Baylor-BYU. We'll save those for later, but uh, the rest of the conference, uh, it's kind of an interesting line. Uh, Missouri is at K-State. K-State's laying seven and a half. I admittedly don't know much about Missouri, but uh, they must not be uh, pretty good or very good. If I mean, I mean, I, K-State's at home. I get it. But more than a touchdown against Missouri. Do you know much about the Tigers? Am, am, I don't. I, I don't know a ton about bad? Missouri. Yeah. I, all I know is that, man, I, uh, seven and a half just for any Kansas State team feels like too much for a <laughs> yeah. potentially competent Power 5 team, you know? Right, right, yeah. And like, I, I, I doubt, yeah. I, I don't think Missouri is supposed to be good. I think a lot of people, you know, outside of Vandy are, are kind of picking, you know, them to finish pretty, you know, pretty low in the SEC East, which, I mean, of course, I mean, that's, that's kind of where they've been, you know, for their entirety. They've been in the SEC as well. But man, Kansas State really isn't a, isn't a program or a team. And I, you know, I like Kansas State, you know, pick them to go nine and three this season overall, finish, uh, I think, fourth in the Big 12. Kansas State, even when they're really good, they're not really a team that blows guys out, man. They just they just don't. No, and so Missouri they played La Tech in Week One, and Louisiana Tech's that's that's a decent program. Well, not last year. Well, last year they were bad. Holy cow, they were three and nine last year. So maybe La Tech's going through a uh, a downswing right now. But uh, so I don't know. I mean, who knows? Like, I mean, they, did they, what was Missouri's the score? Offense, did they? Oh, 52-24. I mean, they blew them out offense look i mean offense put up 558 yards so i mean missouri might have a good offense i i I don't know i mean you're getting that extra hook i might i might if i had to force i might be leaning towards taking those seven and a half i mean that's i yeah i mean i i wouldn't so i wouldn't bet this game if i actually had money on the line this is a game i'd stay far away from uh but yeah gun to my head i'd probably take mizzou here all right moving on another non-conference game number 25 houston is at texas tech texas tech a home favorite laying three I'll admit I have no thoughts on that game. I didn't get a chance to see either one of these teams play. Uh, but, hey, Daner Holgerson, what is he entering? Geez, this year? He's year three at Houston. Is it three? Actually, no. His, his four. Yeah, his first year was that uh, was that year that De'Aaron King was here in yeah, the season opener. This so four. this is fourth year. 19, 20, 21. Yeah, four. Yeah. They also randomly went like 13-1 and one last year. Yeah, they had a good year. 
So anyway, right, yeah, yeah, they, no they lost it. That's right. They haven't. I don't think they've lost since they lost to Texas Tech in the opener last year. Hmm. That's interesting. They had to have lost another one. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they did. Maybe I'm. I'm. I'm forgetting one. Um. But anyway, yeah. What Texas Tech is is a. Th- I I would take Texas Tech on this one. I know Tyler Shuck is hurt. Uh. But you know Donovan Smith. I'm assuming is going to step in, and he was better than Shuck last year anyway. So. Uh, I, I like Joey McGuire. I thought that was a great hire for Texas Tech. Um, Houston was um, had had one of the lowest post game win expectancies of a winning team last week. I think they they had like they had a less than a ten percent winning expectancy against UTSA, and so they got they got pretty lucky to win that game. I don't know, man. This kind of feels like Joey McGuire at home again. The first time a top twenty five team is coming to Lubbock, ah, that that kind of feels like almost a a Texas Tech beat up game where they kind of they kind of ragdoll Houston a little bit. I mean, how much do you really like Joey McGuire, though, when you kind of have to think more and realize that he uh, didn't try to hold on to Gavin Freeman's recruitment when he came in? I don't know. Well, I mean, because it Maybe. probably wasn't possible. I mean, uh, I, I guess, you know, he take Brent Venables at his word, I guess maybe. Maybe there was more to that story, but, you know, I mean, uh, Matt Wells had him committed, who's now on staff at Oklahoma, according to Brent Venables, and then the new staff came in, and, um, well, I guess they didn't well, go Well, that him, sounds like, uh, in the world of recruiting, that sounds like uh, Gavin Freeman really just wanted to go to Oklahoma all along and was going to do it no matter what if he had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, let's see. KU's at West Virginia. Who cares? Uh, the Mountaineers are favored by oh, 13 I care about and a half. that. They're, you got Kansas. Who, I mean, Kansas looked downright competent last week against a bad FCS team. But that's, I mean, they looked competent against an FCS team, bad or good, for the first time in what? I mean, a decade? I guess. I don't, I just, I don't know. I mean, I do like, uh, is it Leipold or Leipold, however you pronounce yeah. it? Yeah, and, and hey, I, I'm, I'm on, I, I'm, I'm still on, I mean, I said, I, I, still, I still think Kansas is going to go 0-9 in the Big 12 this year. I still think they're bad. Um, you got West Virginia coming off of a, of a huge emotional high, potentially letdown of that game where I mean, they, they absolutely should have beaten Pitt last week. They, I mean, Neil Brown basically gave that game away by punting on fourth and one, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, in, in Pitt territory late in that game. And I don't know. I mean, they, they're coming up against Kansas. They're kind of maybe sleepwalking a little bit. You never know. Yeah. Could this be, could I, this be I, the like Neil Brown getting fired game? <laughs> I'd like it a lot I mean, more. Seriously, if, if no Brown's gonna get fired if they lose to Kansas. Uh, I don't know. I, I I'd like it a lot more if KU was getting fourteen and a half instead of thirteen and a half. Get that extra, you know, touchdown and a hook. But uh, I'll I won't be partaking. Uh, Arizona State at Oklahoma State, kind of an interesting matchup. OSU is laying eleven and a half. That seems like too many points with an Arizona State offense like Emory Jones. I remember he was at Florida. He was fine, uh, but I mean. Central Michigan was able to do a lot against an Oklahoma State defense, which uh, may be bad. It may be a bad defense. I which watched quite I a bit was, of that OSU-Central Michigan game. Oklahoma State did not look very good. Offensively, they did. Offensively, their, they their skill guys great. looked good, I thought. Um, that, that was kind of the big... I mean, a lot of... You know, Spencer Sanders had a good game. I'm not going to take... But, I mean, a lot, lot of passes within five yards of the line of scrimmage that were taken to the house. Sure, sure. And that's the thing. I mean... Uh, if Spencer Sanders plays really well all season long, I mean, like the last two games, I mean, Oklahoma State's going to be really good, and they, they're going to have a chance to win this conference and g- go pretty far. It's just the problem is, though, I, 
like I've been saying, ever since this whole defensive change happened with Derek Mason and how he wanted to implement the same thing Jim Knowles did, I, I, I don't know about that. I'm skeptical. And Central Michigan, to Oklahoma State's credit, Central Michigan had some pieces on offense. I mean, they were a good offense last year, and they returned a decent amount of guys. Yeah, so, they I mean, returned a lot of guys. It's not that crazy. Like, it's not that crazy that you know they were able to do that. I mean, they put up 40-plus. That's kind of crazy in a way. But, uh, I mean, I think the number was 17, 17 and a half. And I stayed away from that game because I just thought, ah, I, the back door might be wide open. And, and it was. Arizona State came through the back door. Now, now uh, Oklahoma State, 11 and a half. Kind of a weird number, 11 and a half. Uh, Arizona State beat up on Northern Arizona. I don't know. I mean, I think if if I had to, you know, if I had to play that, I'd, I'd probably take the points. I'd probably take the plus eleven and a half. But it might be a trap too. I mean, Oklahoma State might come out and just pound them. Uh, so sorry to be on the fence game. on that one. Really interesting game. I don't have a ton of thoughts on that one. That one's definitely just kind of a wait and see game for me. Uh, Tarleton TCU. So TCU looked kind of weird the other night against Colorado and they still blew them out because Colorado might be one of the worst power five programs right now. Is that pretty accurate to say? I mean, they're all pretty accurate to me. You had a, you had a sunny Dykes team that looked like the opposite of a sunny Dykes team. They couldn't throw the ball, but they could run the ball and they played good defense. They played good defense. Yeah. Uh, and you know, TCU gets out of there. Is Chandler, did it get confirmed? Is Chandler Morris severely injured or do we know? Honestly, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I that was, it. that was just kind of the, that was the assumption because he had a towel over his head on the sideline and he was crying. Okay, I just uh, did a little quick Google search. Fortunately, he only has a sprained knee. That's it. But he's not going to play against uh, Tarleton. Well, good for him. Which, I'm, I'm glad he's not hurt. That's awesome. I mean, like he's still hurt, but I'm glad it wasn't like a full tear. That's good. Yeah. And uh, the last one in the Big 12 before we get to the our picks I was saving this one for last because, you know, every year we got to talk about Iowa State and Iowa. This time they're playing it in Iowa City, and Iowa just had a special kind of game last week. What was the final score? 7-3 to three over South Seven Dakota to State. 7-3. Three. 7-3, to three, didn't score a touchdown <laughs> over South Dakota State. And I was telling you before, you know, we, you know, we got on the podcast before the mics heated up. Every single year on this podcast, I fall for it. I think it's going to be Iowa State's year, and I'm always wrong, and I'm not going to fall for it this time. I think Iowa laying three and a half at home might be way too easy. It might be it might be a trap, but I don't care. I, I'm going to lay the three and a half and say, uh, put your money on the Hawkeyes because I've seen this story too many times. I'm always wrong. I want to finally be on the right side of history, Grant. Here, I mean, here's the deal with this line, Lee, is that the layman better, the, 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 the person who's going to be betting on DraftKings, on FanDuel or whatever, they don't know about the history of this. They're going to see what happened last week that Iowa could barely beat you know, an FCS team, an FCS, a good FCS team, by the way. I mean, and that doesn't yeah. matter. Iowa should still be able to, you know, gain more than 150 yards of offense against them. But, um, and they're going to see that Iowa State blew out, a, you know, an FCS team of their, and, and people are just going to be pounding Iowa State on this one because people just don't know. And, and really, the, the handicap on this game is easy. It's Hunter Deckers versus a top five defense in college football. An extremely easy yeah. handicap. Gross. <laughs> and your handicaps on all the on that, you know all your picks from last week are really good and speaking of that let's go to it we got five picks grant was five and oh last week against the spread and we're using again these are spreads uh, this isn't you know we probably should go to like DraftKings or FanDuel or one of the sites but ESPN's just so easy I just go to ESPN because they put the, the lines up and you know I sometimes I wouldn't be surprised if some of the lines that we have here are different than what you're seeing you know, when you're listening to the podcast. Because, I mean, numbers change and stuff. But, you know, we go based on what we're seeing 
on Wednesday here at 7.45 at night. And we begin with a uh, with an SEC battle. Kind of interesting. South Carolina, where our old friends Shane Beamer and Spencer Rattler and Austin Stogner, everyone in Columbia, they're going to Arkansas, number 16 Arkansas, and the Razorbacks coming off a win over Cincinnati. Arkansas is laying eight. And, oh, and by the way, Grant, Houston did lose a game last year to Cincinnati. They lost late in the year to Cincinnati. Yep, thank you. So, yeah. So, anyway, so Arkansas laying eight against South Carolina. Obviously, the, it's, you know, the reason why there's an eight because it's like, okay, you got to you know, lay a little extra if you want to take the home team. And, honestly, I, I watched a little bit of that South Carolina game, watched the highlights. Spencer Rattler looked like Spencer Rattler from last year a lot of the time. He, he looked a little bit more athletic. I, he, he moved a little bit better, so maybe he – who knows how much time he spent in the offseason working out and preparing in 2021. Perhaps he did more of that in 2022. But he also threw a really bad pick in the game that reminded me of some of the really bad picks he threw against uh, while at Oklahoma. Uh, and he, he wasn't all that impressive. He, he took a couple of shots, but a lot of it was Dinkin and Duncan, and they got a lot of help from special teams. Uh, South Carolina did to beat Georgia State at home. And so, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and lay the eight with Arkansas here in this matchup. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Um, this is more to me just about Arkansas than anything. I think Arkansas is really good. Um, and and I, I don't think South Carolina is quite there yet. I, I didn't I didn't watch any of their game last week. Um, but no, I mean, look at look at the box score for Spencer Rattler, and it looked a whole lot like 2021 Spencer Rattler. All right, another, uh, by the way, it's an 11 a.m. kick. Uh, another 11 a.m. kick, and this is a Big 12 game that we save for now, and it's one of the bigger ones of the week. I'm sure you all know what we're going at. Number one, Alabama, laying 20 points on the road in Austin against Texas. And so, Grant, I'll tell you, before we started the podcast today, as you were kind of getting everything set up and I was biding some time, I did put on the Texas ULL or ULM game, whoever they played, just because I was curious to see what Texas looked like. And I got to admit, I wasn't, all that impressed with what I saw from Texas. Granted, I mean, as a Texas fan, you could probably put on OU's tape against UTEP and find some reasons not to be all that impressed with OU as well. So uh, just to be fair there, but uh, I watched the first half, and, I mean, Texas was winning, and uh, their, their defense looked okay, uh, swarming here and there, but obviously the main draw is Quinn Ewers. And the biggest thing about Quinn Ewers that stood out to me, one, I hate how he throws the football. It looks like he's shot putting the ball and or short arming a baseball every time he passes the ball, which is just bizarre. He's got a strong arm. It just it's his mechanics are very weird. I don't like it. Uh, and two, he's not very mobile at all. He's 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 like a pocket passer. Like he can't really move very well. I'm not sure if he's supposed to be able to move. So those two things. And you know, he threw a really bad pick his first series. And after that, you could tell Sark was like, all right, we're going to run the ball and you're going to check down a whole lot. And after that, and at least in the first half, he threw the ball down the field, I think, twice after the first series. Everything else was around the line of scrimmage. So, they, I mean, they were babysitting him, as Colin Coward would say. I wasn't all that impressed, and now he's got to face Alabama, which I did not see in the Alabama's game, uh, but they blew out Utah State. So I, I, we were talking about this before the podcast. 20 is a big number. Uh, I think Joey Galloway, I saw on Twitter, Joey Galloway, clearly an expert in, in football and gambling he said oh man that game uh, that point spread might go up to 30 all right joey uh no uh, that's not how this works uh it's it's been at 20 ever since sunday when it opened uh i am going to lay that 20 and i feel pretty darn good about it grant what do you think 
Yeah, I think Alabama minus twenty here is e- is easy money. Um, I you know I I know there's probably going to be a lot of sharps maybe on this that are saying ah no maybe go with the go with the home underdog there, but I mean just just what we know about Alabama and I'm sorry what we know about Texas up to this point Texas kind of seems like a dumpster fire they they're going to get killed in this game. Mm. Did you watch any of the game? Did you see Quinn Ewers? Play? I actually did. I ha- I only saw highlights, so I didn't even see the interception. I saw I saw his a couple of his touchdown passes. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you with uh, his 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 throwing motion kind of bothering me. It he doesn't he doesn't look like a supernatural thrower of the football. Um, I mean, I've seen his but high school tape. Me- I know he he's got a he's got a cannon. Like I'm not I'm not sitting here, but yeah, I, yeah. I agree. He doesn't move very well. Or at least it didn't look like it from there. But and may, maybe a, a more charitable way to say it, or or more accurate way to say it is, he looks kind of goofy when he moves. When he moves, <laughs> like he hasn't fully grown into his body. Yeah, he's he's, he's a big boy. He just I mean, uh, the reason I pointed out is because any pressure, I, he's not gonna. I don't think he's gonna be able to get, you know leave the pocket successfully a lot of the time. I think he's gonna probably get caught. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna be able to outrun anybody, which. Uh, I mean, I, I guess a lot of quarterbacks can't, but you know that's the way the game is trending. You want kind of that athleticism in the pocket where you can move. I mean, Colin Schley, for example, I mean, moves really, really well. The Jeez, Kent man, State if Colin Schley was uh, was like was was the quarterback for Iowa. They'd be a top five team right now. <laughs> All right, next game. So so far, we're on Arkansas and we're both on Bama. Number twenty four, Tennessee, on the road at number seventeen, Pitt. Tennessee, though, a road favorite, laying six and a half. And so Pitt opens up back-to-back home games at Athletico or Athleisure. At, at, uh, Akrasher. Al- Alkaline. Akrasher. Uh, don't call it Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. So before Pitt was a home favorite over West Virginia, laying seven and a half. Now they're catching six and a half, uh, coming off an emotional win, a game that West Virginia kind of gave away. West Virginia, you know, they West Virginia should have won that football game. You kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. I didn't see Tennessee play at all last week. I don't know uh, what they look like. So I guess I got to look at this number, and this number kind of this number is telling me to take Tennessee as much as I as much as I don't want to. But under a touchdown, uh, I don't have to worry about the hook. I think I'm going to go ahead and lean towards Tennessee minus the six and a half. Just to be different here, because this is actually kind of a, a, a coin flip for me. I like Tennessee. Um, I'm going to take Pitt in this game. Um, mostly just because, you know, I... Oh, gosh. No, this this is definitely a... I'm I'm kind of going against the grain. I think I I think most of the public is going to be on Tennessee in this game. They're going to see SEC team versus ACC team, um, and they're going to take Tennessee. And so I think I'm just going to kind of go against the grain here. This is me going against my heart. I, I really like Tennessee this year, um, but that is kind of making me feel like maybe I'm overvaluing them a little bit, and um, maybe undervaluing Pitt a little bit just because of you know they were maybe a little lucky to win last week. But they're they're back at home again, so I'll take Pitt just to be different. Because I, I don't really know either way. All right. This next game, I, I just threw it in there because I, it, to me, it seems like kind of a fun, interesting non-conference matchup between two teams that you just don't like, – I, I just don't picture these teams playing. Uh, kind of similar to Utah and Florida. I mean, to, I mean but it's, th- this isn't as good as that. Uh, App State, who just played an insane game against North Carolina, uh, at Texas A&M, number six Texas A&M. I don't know. I mean – App State apparently can score a lot of points. 
Uh, we know Texas A&M is kind of based off of defense, and they slow people down. Uh, the Aggies are laying 19, kind of a weird number. They're laying 19 at home. I, it it seems like general, uh, you know, like uh, what's I'm trying to think what R.J. Bell on the Dream Preview calls it. Is it the 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 Velcro the 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 Velcro shoe wear better the guy that's like the the dumb better that doesn't know anything like would be like oh App State just scored sixty plus points now I'm get catching nineteen give me App State and it just seems like like the dumb guy would bet that but I kind of feel like being the dumb guy here I kind of want to take the nineteen points even though uh it, it, like my brain is like ah come on like this is th- this line's telling you to take A and M and just lay the points but I'm actually gonna you know I'm not gonna endorse this pick but for the purpose of the podcast i'm actually going to take the take the 19 and take my first underdog of the day app state and i'll I'll go the opposite of you lee and this is this is very similar to my last pick where hey i my heart says app state 100 but i you know i have so much I, i'm so in the tank against texas a&m that i can't look at them objectively and so my heart says app state here and so my betting head says go the opposite direction so a&m all right, and finally, uh, maybe the maybe the game of the week, Baylor and BYU, maybe number nine Baylor at number twenty one BYU, probably the most interesting uh, game of the week. Yeah, in terms of BYU. like I, because we we don't really know what Baylor is yet post you know them losing all their skill guys and all their best players on defense, and we know that BYU returns pretty much everybody from their team last season that scored a lot of points but also gave up a lot of points. Does BYU return their quarterback from last yes, year? Yes, Jaron really Hall. Their I like bad. him. He's good. You know, they had no problems with uh, South Florida, and I, I know some sharp betters and some podcasts I listened to last week were uh, liking the idea of catching – I can't remember what the line was in that game. Like, it was – I mean, I th- BYU definitely covered. I mean, they definitely were were favored by less than 29 points. They won 50-21. But some people were saying I, – I heard at least one or two guys like – Man, USF's catching whatever it was, 12. I think it was plus 12. Uh, they just got Gary Bohannon, instant upgrade. And I remember thinking, oh, goodness gracious. You, <laughs> that's, your, that's your handicap? Gary Bohannon is why you're, you're excited about US, USF? There's a reason why he, he was uh, available. <laughs> because Baylor was like, eh, yeah. We, I think we, we won a lot of games kind of despite you last year. And I'm looking at the box score, and Gary Bohannon did not have a good game against BYU. Shocking, I know, right? Anyways, this line is, I mean, minus three, BYU minus three. It's, it's, we're, I've, I've said this a million times on this podcast. You and I, before the show, we're talking. This line is, is Las Vegas and the odds makers saying, you know what? You guys figure this out. We're not sure. <laughs> like, take it. You guys, you guys make your picks and go with it. Uh, I, you know, I'm on the record. I'm not a big Baylor, Baylor believer this year. So, out of principle on that, I'll lay the three with BYU. Yeah, I'm going with BYU also on this one. Because um, to me, I see this line, and I see BYU getting the three points at home, and to me, it just feels like a pick 'em. And um, I, you know, I went, I went game by game in the Big Twelve, and this is one of the games that I picked Baylor to lose this year. So I'll take BYU. All right, a recap: You and I are both on Arkansas laying eight against South Carolina. We're both on Alabama laying the twenty over Texas, or against Texas rather. We are split in the Tennessee Pitt game. I am on Tennessee minus six and a half. You are on Pitt plus a six and a half. We're also split on App State and AM. I'll take the 19 with App State. You'll lay the 19 with AM. And we're both on BYU minus three over Baylor. 
Those are our five picks. Grant, we'll see if you can go 10-0. and 0. If you do, that means that I will not be 5-0 uh, and 0 this upcoming week. Uh, but, uh, I mean, a, a good start, though. I mean, both of us were above 500 in, uh, in our picks. And, you know, honestly, I think both of us, I know you did really well last year on the podcast. I did okay. I think I was, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like. You were in the money, 30, if it was real money. I, no, I, I, I think I was a little bit below 500, but I wasn't like 15 or 20 games below. I think I was maybe three or four, you know, which, you know, you're losing money, but not a whole lot. And you're having fun along the way. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's about uh, that's a lot of the time. It's why we do this. It really is. It's, 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 nice, it's nice to make a little scratch on the side every now and then, but realistically, that's not going to happen a majority of the time. Just, I'm just waiting until it's legal everywhere, man. Until we can finally do it in Oklahoma. Oh, I don't know when that's going to happen, though. Um, all right, so good stuff. That's all I have. Any, uh, yeah, we've already got about 90 minutes, so I think we're good. Uh, I'll give you a chance to have any final thoughts before we wrap things up. I guess I, I haven't talked to you about this yet. Did, did you watch the end of the LSU-Florida State game the other night? Yes. Yeah, I did see that. I don't, I don't really have any just like – I don't have any – like overarching comments other than (laughs) (laughs) man i'm i'm so dumb uh i was watching the end of that game with the thought in my mind that uh my wager on lsu i was catching three points and not laying three points like a moron so whenever they missed that extra point i was like oh perfect don't need overtime I'm catching three, and then I, I went and looked at my sheet and like, oh, that's right. They're laying three because they're in they're playing this game in Louisiana. You're a moron. So uh yeah, I uh I was kind of mad. I, I honestly thought LSU minus three was a lock, man. I because like you know, you and I are pretty high on Brian Kelly. Uh I'm not high at all on Florida State. I think that the program's kind of meh. But I mean, both those teams might end up being kind of bad this year, though. Like is that this, was that, is that was my takeaway while watching it, is that yeah. both of these teams are bad. Um, is, is that going to be this year's version of like that Notre Dame Texas game from like a decade ago or you know Texas was ended up being ranked or whatever but by the end of the season both of those teams were bad <laughs> I maybe I don't know but you know I've been I've been kind of here I've been I've I've pushed back on a lot of people for you know because it, it's kind of the the national narrative right now that that you know Brian Kelly is not going to work out at LSU and I've I've been pushing back against that basically saying you're crazy if you don't think that Brian Kelly is going to work out at LSU one game in you know, I guess, you know, point in the column of the people who are Brian Kelly skeptical for sure. LSU did not look ready to play. And also, I mean, it's it's a huge thing. You know, I know there's a lot of that controversy about, you know, Kayshawn Booty who had, you know, had scrubbed everything of LSU on his, you know, social media. He didn't get a lot of targets during that game. Um, one, I don't have any comments on what him, his social media stuff, whatever. That's, that's, a gen, that's a Gen Z thing that I don't understand. They can do what they want. But um, I don't know, man. It's... It's a huge red flag that that you got this guy, Kayshawn Booty, who a lot of people think is is the best wide receiver in the entire country, and it didn't really seem like their game plan was to get him the ball at all. And uh, that's that's just a huge red flag. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and you know, I guess I hadn't, you know, I didn't follow LSU at all, aside from I know that Brian Kelly was the coach there. I, I had no idea that Jaden Daniels had transferred over there, and I, I kind of liked him at Arizona State. I did too. I did too. He, he didn't. He wasn't. That, I mean, with the exception of that late, uh, he that run he had late in the game to get them down. Like that was a great run. I think on third or fourth down. That uh, like, he's pretty athletic, but I thought he'd yeah, be a LSU lot better. Had a, in that, LSU yeah. had a sequence of plays there on that last drive that were just like perfect. 
that that were the, exactly what they needed. And so, yeah, that that scramble he had, and then the crossing route there, he he got out of bounds with two seconds left, just like uh, just a oh, per- yeah. just yeah. a perfect play for them, you know, in that in that situation. But you know, that's it was an ugly game that had an an amazing ending, an incredibly entertaining ending, and so I, I just thought. That it was it was just college football personified, and I loved it. And uh, you know, as much as I've you know, as much as I've thrown out there that I think Brian Kelly is going to be really successful at LSU, it always makes me happy when LSU fails, and and it always makes me happy when their fans are sad and they hurt. So um, that's yeah, always that's always a that. reason, always a reason to be happy. All right. So last thing, I tweeted this after the game, and. I have some witnesses that I, I was saying this before it even happened, so this isn't, uh, you know, the second guessing or whatever. I, you know, I said, you know, your, your season win total, LSU, is seven. You got to go for two there. Go for two. You got a little momentum? Go for the win. Who cares? Don't kick the extra point and go to overtime. Like, what does Florida State want you to do? Kick the extra point. What do they not want you to do? Go for two. You got all the momentum? Just go for the win, Brian Kelly. That's why they lost. I probably would have done it in that situation too. They had just pulled off like five or six consecutive plays where the exact thing, you know, that needed to happen happened. They had a ton of momentum. I'm sure I'm sure Florida State's defense was tired. Jaden Daniels was running around back there. Yeah, I, and you know, hindsight is obviously it's easy to say go for it, but I was saying that though before before he kicked it. I was saying go for that's that's my thing is you know, we always I shouldn't say we always, that's that's hyperbolic. At times on this podcast, I'm sure we've talked about you're a college football team, you're a high school football team, you're a middle school football team. Coaches should have, you know, a handful of plays you're practicing here and there that are quote-unquote money-type plays that you know you're going to you – know, a very high chance, high probability of, of getting. And that's a perfect time for one of those plays. I know it's week one, but so what? You're LSU. Like I said, your season win total is set at seven. Nobody's expecting you to go win the SEC. Have fun. You have nothing to lose, man. Go for two. And really, I mean, the best argument for going for two there is that it's it's up to a kicker to tie the game in that situation, a college kicker, <laughs> right? Right. And that's I mean, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter who it is. I would always be clinching clinching my BH if if I was the <laughs> if if I was a fan of the kicker who needed to make that extra point. Nobody wants to be in that position. All right. Well, nobody ever wants to be in that position with the old BH. So we'll leave it at that here as we go into the next uh, the next game of OU twenty twenty two football. <laughs> All right, four grand. Uh, yeah, so we'll be back again. We'll we'll get back. We'll talk about the OU Kent State game Sunday morning, and uh, hopefully this iTunes Apple Podcast things gets resolved here in the next couple of days. So uh, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show, and if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five star review, and also. Tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.